there's something about a new beginning that fires the imagination. There's a sense of satisfaction when an idea that began as a dream is finally coming to fruition. Beginnings are full of hope and promise. Beginnings are filled with energy and creativity. Beginnings are marked with excitement and celebration. There's something else about a new beginning that is equally true. Beginnings are chaotic and messy. Beginnings are tension-filled and anxiety-producing. This is what causes the wisdom preacher to write in Ecclesiastes 7 and 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. On Thanksgiving Day last Thursday, there were a number of races run across the country, turkey trots and 5K runs and half marathons. You know, people train for weeks and even months before some of these runs. Anticipation. And the day of the race, the adrenaline is pumping. And then they get to the starting line. They're all milling around before the start of the race. Have you ever seen that? It's chaotic. There's a fair amount of apprehension on the part of the runner about whether or not he or she will indeed be able to complete the race. Have I trained enough? Have I eaten the right amount so I don't give out of energy before the end? Whether it's the beginning of a marriage or the birth of a child or the launch of a business or the first day on a new job, or the start of an overseas trip. Name any beginning you like, and there you will find dual feelings of anticipation and apprehension. One of the clearest illustrations of this truth is at the very first beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 describes the beginning of beginnings. In the beginning, the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. There it is. What began as an idea in the mind of eternal God explodes into reality. What excitement, what anticipation, what what energy. But the very next verse describes the apprehension that is present at the very beginning when it says, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. See, it's a new beginning, but it's chaos. It's a new beginning, brimming with possibilities, but it's dark and foreboding. And the response of Creator God is verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. The first step in bringing order out of chaos is to turn on a light to dispel the darkness. This is the theme that is echoed in the words of the text for the message this morning when the Apostle John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as you read through this chapter, you soon realize that when he says the Word, he's talking about Jesus, 
the Word made flesh. Jesus was the creative Word of God in the beginning. That's what he means in verse 3 when he writes, All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. And then we come to verse 4, and this becomes the focus of what the Lord has laid on my heart to talk to you about today. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In the beginning of beginnings, when there was nothing but chaos and darkness, the word spoke, and the light turned on, and order ensued. The word spoke, the light shined, and life sprang forth. Toward the end of his life, the Apostle John picks up this same theme in his first letter when he writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He continues in verse 5 of that chapter and says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Into a world that was steeped in chaos and darkness, Jesus was born, the light of the world. When the light shines, the darkness flees. When the light shines, new life springs forth. And before I get on with the meat of this message today, I need to pause long enough to say to somebody, if what's going on in your life right now seems to be chaotic and dark, if there isn't enough light to see your way out of your present problem, it just could be what you're experiencing is not a termination, but it just could be the launch of a new beginning for your life. So now isn't the time to go back into your shell. Now isn't the time to give up in despair. Now isn't the time to throw in the towel. Now isn't the time to sound the alarm. This is the time to hold on. This is the time to steady your soul and strengthen your faith. You can't see him right now, but the spirit is moving. You can't see him, but the spirit is brooding and hovering and working over your dark life just like he was in the beginning in Genesis what and you might want to put on your sunglasses because when the time is just right not a minute before and not one minute too late the word is going to proclaim let there be light and the my lord the same radiance that announced his birth in a stable in bethlehem some two thousand years ago is still shining in our world today the glorious light of jesus is going to break into your darkness new life is springing forth when his light shines things start to turn around when his light shines what has been broken is put back together when his light shines deliverance comes when his light shines darkness flees when his light shines, hope is renewed. When his light shines, victory comes. 
I'm telling you, his light causes old things to pass away and all things to become new. His light causes chains to fall and fears to bow. His light causes demons to flee. His light creates new possibilities and ushers you into a new season. I tell you, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overpower it. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I know we're living in some dark times. I know every time you turn on the news, there is a report of a, of a new threat. I know that this world is chaotic and in turmoil. But I want to suggest to you that this present darkness isn't a cause for panic. It isn't a cause for fear. Because this is simply the indicator of a new beginning. What I hear resonating in my spirit during this Advent season is light has come. He hasn't come to reveal defeat. He has come to release life. One of the things people think about during this season of the year is Christmas presents. In fact, the stores are counting on the fact that you're thinking about Christmas gifts so they can make their profit margins. Without a doubt, the greatest gift God ever gave to this world was to send his only begotten son, Jesus. You know, the Bible gives many different reasons for the coming of Jesus. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. In Matthew 20, 28, he said that he came to give his life a ransom for many. In Luke 4, 43, he said that he came to proclaim the kingdom. In Luke 12, 49, he said that he came into the world to confront the world's systems. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, the apostle Paul wrote that Jesus came to rescue us from the wrath to come. In John 10, 10, Jesus said that he came to bring abundant life. And this all begins right here when the light shines in the darkness. See, when John writes, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, this isn't just some abstract concept. This isn't just poetic imagery. This is the reality Jesus brings to those who come to him today. His desire and his plan is to make you whole. His goal is to enter into your darkness and transform your life, restore you to all that God intended you to be from the very beginning. Now just so you know where we're going with this today, at the end of the message... I'm going to give you an opportunity for prayer. I'm going to believe with you that the miracle working power of God is going to touch you and make you whole. He's going to release you from some chains of bondage that have, that have just been oppressing you. I'm going to pray with you for the light to shine and his abundant life to be released to you. So I just want to alert my elders that are present today. At the end of this service, I want, I'm going to ask you to come and and. and minister to people okay so just kind of be be ready I didn't get a chance to tell you that ahead of time so now you know well in preparation for that time 
There are two things I want to call to your attention to help this entrance of light and life to become a reality right at your point of need. I just wonder if there's anybody that would say to me this morning, Pastor, I walked into this place and I have a need and I need God's touch in my life. Anybody at all says, I need, I need his help, I need his touch. All right. Well, the first thing you need to do is understand and believe the provision of power that has been made for you through the completed work of Jesus on the cross. The provision of power. This is the meaning of the prophet's words when he looked at the coming Messiah through the telescope of time and proclaimed in Isaiah 53 and 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. We see that verse being fulfilled in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Here the writer talks about the ministry of Jesus and says, They brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This, watch this, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. He's looking back at Isaiah 50, 53 and saying, this is, this is the fulfillment of that. This is the provision made for you by Jesus through his death on Calvary's cross. His suffering made possible your healing. That's what 1 Peter 2 and 24 is talking about when he says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And what you need to understand is that those verses weren't just placed in the Bible for other people who sit around you in the church service. They aren't just there for people who are off in some foreign land somewhere. They aren't there just for the people who were part of the first century church. They aren't there just for the saints of yesteryear. But those verses are there for you right now, right where you are, right where you hurt the most. The word of the Lord to your life today is Exodus 15 and 26. I am the Lord that heals you. Why don't you just tap yourself on the shoulder and say, he's talking to me right now. He's talking to me. I am the Lord that heals you. Listen, your doctor may be an agent of help, and I thank God for the help they are able to give. Your psychologist may be an agent of help. Your counselor may be an agent of help. Even... I know you may find this hard to believe, but even your pastor may be an agent of help. But there is only one who can truly make you whole, and that is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. See, a doctor can diagnose. A psychologist can evaluate. A counselor can listen. A pastor can pray. But it is only the Lord who can create life and restore life and renew life. So if you want his life, it begins by believing that he has made the provision of power for your wholeness in the atonement. And then there's the second thing. Not only must you begin to, begin to understand this provision of power, but you have to personalize the promise. You have to not only believe that Jesus has made the provision of power for wholeness, but you have to see that ministry taking shape in your place of need. When I talk about personalizing the promise, I'm talking about accepting the word of the Lord as a word to and for you. You have to say, this is not just somebody up there preaching a word that's, that's for everybody else. No, this is God speaking to me. I'm talking about seeing the power of what's available to you in the word of the living God. 
somewhere along the line, if you're going to experience the life that Jesus brings, then you need to begin to personalize Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Somewhere along the line, you need to just put your name right there. Bless the Lord, John, and all that is within you. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O soul of John, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all of John's iniquities? Who heals all of John's diseases? Who redeems John's life from the pit? Who crowns John with loving kindness and compassion? Who satisfies John's years with good things so that John's youth is renewed like the eagles? You've got to personalize that thing. You need to personalize Jeremiah 30 and 17. For I will restore to you health and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. You need to personalize 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just wonder. You know, I told you last week that sometimes pastors just sit in their office and wonder. I just wonder what would happen if you would personalize those verses and begin to apply them to your situation. Maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe it's a deep emotional wound. Maybe it's the scars from horrible abuse you've suffered. Maybe it's that sense of failure you feel because you can't seem to find the key that will turn things around financially. Maybe you've been hurt and wounded by a close friend or a relative or a brother or sister in the church. Maybe it's the dark cloud that hangs over you as a result of the death of a loved one. Whatever it is, the Lord wants you to grab hold of 1 Peter 5 and 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Lord wants you to personalize Psalm 55 and 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. I just wish somebody would dare to believe that this is not just a word being spoken to try and bring encouragement to a group of people on a Sunday morning. But you would dare to believe that this is the word of the Lord to you today, right where you need it the most, right where you hurt the greatest. This is the Lord through me speaking his word of light and life to you right now. Maybe you're listening to this message and thinking it sounds pretty good, but you're wondering how it's possible for this to happen. How, how do we, how, you know, we personalize, but, but how does it really take shape? How does it work? Well, just before we pray, I want to give you some practical steps to help you appropriate this light and life to your life today. First of all, I would tell you it's important to assemble the church. This is the formula in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. He says, is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? 
Then he must call for the elders of the church and they're to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. And I don't know if you know it or not, but there is power in this place where believers have gathered today. When people of God come together as a body and follow the formula in the word of God, when we call the elders of the church and anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith, and it's the body united in that together, then the light and life of Jesus begins to flow through that. One of the most powerful things the church can do is be aware of the needs of one another and intercede in prayer on behalf of one another and travail in prayer for one another. Not just some, oh, God bless you and help you and keep you prayer, uh-uh, but an, an, an earnest, sincere, passionate, fervent prayer that brings the needs of brothers and sisters before the Heavenly Father and invokes His divine favor and grace on their behalf. That's when the power is released. That's when the victory comes. When the church ministers to one another, that's how the light and the life of Jesus gets released into the lives of hurting people. So not only then is it important to assemble the church, but then you have to apply the principles. Sometimes, when you need to receive the life of Jesus, the Lord will give you an individual spiritual insight. And the operative word is individual. Where a lot of people get into trouble is when they try to follow the formula that worked for somebody else. You forget that you are unique. There's nobody just like you. People looked at me when I said that and said, praise God. There's an individual place for you in the kingdom of God. And there are times that the Lord works in a different way with you than he works with anybody else. Remember, there's, there's a story in the gospel of, uh, of John chapter 9 where a blind man came to Jesus. In that story, Jesus took mud, put it on the man's eyes, told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. You, you remember that story? Now, now, that seems like a ridiculous thing to do. You know, spit it on the ground, make some mud, and slap it on somebody's eyes. You know, we're just waiting for that revival of spit and mud to come to the church, you know. That seems ridiculous, but if the man had not followed that personal spiritual insight he would have never been healed in the old testament book of second kings chapter five there's a story about a man named naaman the commander of the syrian army he came to the prophet elisha and needed to be healed of leprosy and elisha told him to go and dip himself and wash seven times in the jordan river now that, that was a humiliating thing for a man of his stature to do but he did it and the Bible records that his leprosy was healed when he followed his own personal spiritual insight. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but I can only find one case in the Bible of sight being restored by applying mud and washing in the pool of Siloam. And I can only find one case in the Bible of leprosy being cleansed by dipping in the Jordan River. Those were individual spiritual insights. They were, they were descriptive not prescriptive. So if you have that issue, it doesn't mean that somebody needs to spit in the ground, make some mud and slap it on your eyes and tell you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. No, that just is a description of how he did it. It was a unique 
time for a unique situation. What that says to me is that you can't take the way the Lord work, wants to, the way the Lord works to bring about a miracle in one person and make it a universal doctrine. Now, I don't fully understand the miracles that happen when people follow their personal spiritual insight, but I do understand that God is a God of miracles. I do know that he does all things well. I do know that when you put your hand in his hand, then everything is going to, uh, is going to accomplish what is best for your life and what will rise to the praise of his glory. Assemble the church, apply the principles. Then you're going to need to adjust your focus. There's a lot of spiritual schizophrenia in the church today. Everybody has a solution. Everybody seems to think they have this all figured out. One person will tell you that if you just had enough faith, everything would be okay. Somebody else will tell you that it, your problem would be solved if you just get the sin out of your life. And then somebody else will tell you, well, no, it's all about your behavior, so you just have to act differently. And, and then there's the guy telling you to send in your seed faith offering to receive your hundredfold miracle. The list is practically endless. What you have to remember is that God is not a capricious God. I'm trying to help somebody here today. You aren't serving a God who's moving chess pieces around on some cosmic board. You're serving a God who has given principles by which to live. And if you'll just live by his principles and leave the rest up to him, he's going to do what's best for your life. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Am I doing all right? Is anybody learning anything today? I'm just, I'm just pretending you're listening, all right? In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, there's recorded a story of Jesus going to the house of Jairus to raise his daughter from the dead. One of the things that always grabs my attention when I read that story is verse 25. In verse 25, we're told the first thing Jesus did was get rid of the crowd. Before ever trying to perform a miracle, Jesus put everybody but the girl's parents and his three disciples out of the room, and he closed the door. I'm telling you, if you're going to listen to man, you're going to stay confused. So tune out the gallery. Tune in to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and tune in to the word of life and listen to his voice and whatever he says do, do it. Trust in him alone. Keep your focus on him. Then you need to ask with persistence. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said in Matthew 7, 7, ask, and the tense of the word means ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be open to you. It's a message of persistence. I heard the classic story of a little boy who wanted a watch for Christmas. But he already had a watch, and his parents knew he, he really needed other things. The watch he wanted was pretty expensive, so they told him, look, we can't get you this watch for Christmas. We might get it later on, maybe for your birthday or some other time, but, but you've got a watch that, that will do for now. There are other things you need, and we can't do it all, so, so the watch will have to go until a, until a later date. Well, this little guy wasn't deterred in the least bit. He just kept on and on about that. Watch, 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 watch. So finally, the father said, if you say one more word about watch, I will not get you anything for Christmas. Come on, dads, you know how that goes. <laughs> well, that quieted the little boy for a while. Then about two days before Christmas, they were sitting around the dinner table, and as was their custom, they were sharing verses of Scripture. And it came time for this little boy to read a verse. He said, my verse today is Mark 13, 37. 
I say to you, and I say to you all, watch. (laughs) Now that's persistence. When you need the light and the life of Jesus in your chaotic, dark world, be persistent. Never give up on God. Don't, some of you come right to the edge of when God's getting ready to act, and then you back away from it and fold your hand and say, well, that's not going to work. Don't give up on the brink of your miracle. And then there's a final step. You must activate your faith. Faith is the release point. It's something you have to put into operation. It's something you have to engage. It's something you have to practice. I read a testimony some time ago about an elderly woman who battled with arthritis for 22 years. It had finally gotten her to the point that she could hardly open her hands. And her knees were so bad it was a struggle to get up and down. She she had to have someone help her, and it grew progressively worse. She'd gone all all over the country, spent thousands of dollars. She saw all the healing evangelists, been prayed for by everybody she could think of. She'd gone through every formula she could find, and it still didn't seem to work. She just kept getting worse. And then she said, I decided what I needed to do was three things. First of all, she said, I decided I'd do everything in my power to heal myself. I'd use every good gift God had for me. Medical science, diet, everything good I knew that would enhance my life, I'd use all of those good gifts and those good works. Then she said, second, I decided I would leave the healing up to God and quit trying to be concerned about whether I healed myself or didn't, whether I was good or bad or indifferent. If, it was, if I wasn't healed, I just left it up to God. And then third, she said, I decided to follow Jesus. Whether I got healed or not, I decided to follow him. If it brought me to death, I'd go and be with him. While I was in this condition, though, I'd make it my ministry unto him to the best of my ability. I'd just follow him. This went on for a little while, and then one Sunday, as she sat in service, right in the midst of the worship, she said in this testimony, she said it was like a bolt of electricity that went through her body as she was praying for others and ministering, and the praise of the Lord was all around. Suddenly, she noticed she could open her hands and move her fingers like she hadn't moved them in years. And then she found herself being able to stand and get up and down, and The people all around her, knowing her, saw it as well. And everybody got excited and the whole church just got out of order because of the power that was there. It was a development of faith. I have to tell you that I don't know if that's how God is going to choose to move in your life or not. But I do know that he wants to move into that, he wants to move you into that process where your faith is strengthened and where it develops and where you're able to wholeheartedly trust in the Lord and receive the light of his life into your place of need. Just this week, I read an account of a 17-year-old who had come from a divorced home and experienced a lot of abuse and torment. This teenager contracted pneumonia and it it was in the days before We had some of the wonder drugs and the antibiotics like we have now. This young man was dying with pneumonia and the the doctors were helpless. The doctor said, physically and medically, we've done everything. And he should be well. But emotionally, he's given up and he doesn't want to live. He said, what he needs is a transfusion of faith. An An elderly man who had 
watched the boy grow up and had been his confidant on many occasions, heard about the boy's condition. He got out his old, well-worn Bible, and he went to the hospital, and he said, I'm here to give the boy a transfusion of faith. That senior gentleman sat down by the boy's bed where he was lying unconscious. And beginning with Genesis, clear through the book of Revelation, he picked out every positive faith-building verse he could remember or find. He just read to that boy in a coma, read faith-building verses to him. For about four hours, he sat there and read to him. While people were coming and going, the doctor was making his rounds, he just kept reading. All of a sudden, the boy began to stir. He opened his eyes, roused himself, smiled at everybody, and then fell into a deep sleep. The doctor was there and saw what had happened. He said, the crisis has passed. He said, the transfusion has worked. He's going to live. The transfusion of faith. Maybe that's what you need today in your time of darkness and need. In the chaos and darkness of your world, maybe you just need a transfusion of faith. I want to tell you that's why Jesus has come. He came into this world and he comes into your world today to give you a transfusion of faith. In him is life, and that life is light shining into your world, into your life. I want to believe with you right now. I want to believe for a transfusion of faith in your life. Faith to believe the provision of light and life that is yours because Jesus has come. Faith to personalize this light and life to make you whole. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And I remind you one more time, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it. If your world is dark and chaotic, if you're hurting and broken and infirm and wounded, then I'm going to invite you to come. Let the church come. We're going to pray over you. We're going to believe for the release of the light of life to make you whole today. I'm going to ask very quickly my elders that are present in this service, if you'll just come and stand here and prepare to, prepare to pray and prepare to minister to people. And if you are here and want and need the entrance of the light and the life of Jesus into your world, I'm going to ask you to come to one of these elder couples and I'm going to ask you to stand and let them pray over you. Don't wait on your neighbor because your neighbor may not come, but if you want God's touch and God's help right where you are, just stand and come right now. This house shall be called house of restoration place where the broken are made whole healing waters flow mercy abounds here my spirit abides here says the Lord 
This house shall be called a house of restoration, a place where the broken are made.